Well, good morning, church. How are you doing? That's awesome. You're not very happy, but we'll try and fix that as we go on. Again, yeah, it's going to be so awesome to meet a good bunch of you at the, the Looking In Lunch uh, over at Brood House. Again, just please turn up if uh, we don't really know how many people are coming, so expect the unexpected, and it's going to be awesome as well. It's uh, awesome to be sitting next to Mike and Debs, who, ha yeah, handed the church over uh, a couple weeks ago now, and what it, was it? Three weeks, two weeks, who knows? Time's flying by. Uh, it's awesome. They look well rested, um, just doing great. And um, yeah, it's a humbling, humbling experience um, to not only step into, I mean, for any part of the leadership team here at Oceanside. I was looking at some things this week and planning some leadership meetings that are coming up and looking at all avenues of the church between sort of team leaders on a Sunday uh, to sort of ministry leaders uh, through the week and then our deacon team, our connect group team, and our eldership team as well. And all throughout the church, um, you know, you, you sort of add up all these numbers. And I know the faces and, and some people do a couple things there, but for here at Oceanside, for us to function well in, in the leadership pattern that we have, we actually have 75 leaders here at Oceanside who lead teams of people or connect groups of people. And it's this massive thing that we get to do and love because we can't do it all from the front here. You entering into a relationship with a church community isn't just from a, from a, you know, a 30 minute message or a 45 minute message on a Sunday morning, but we have levels of leadership all throughout this church. And it's humbling any one of us that steps into a position of that. Even if we're leading a team and it's about administrating that team and making sure, you know, kids are checked in to the check-in and all of that stuff. The byproduct of everything we want to do here at church and some of, some of those founding beliefs that, um, that uh, Mike and Debs established in the early years, that we are family before function. Family before function. And it's so good to be with you here this morning as family. It is so good at leading God's family. We were at a, at a wedding yesterday. Uh, we, we've, how many weddings have we had? It's, I think we've had someone's wooing over there. It wasn't the person who got married, I don't think. Otherwise, go on honeymoon, uh, something like that. Uh, but Tim and Julia got married. Yep, that's awesome. Uh, it was great to see them married. Uh, we've had a few, few weddings recently, and it's just so cool to see, you know, families come together, two people come together. Uh, but something that sticks out to me, obviously, I, not obviously, but I was at the front, um, and I get to see the bride coming down the aisle, and Tim standing next to me, and then there's the handover of the, the father of the bride um, to the gentleman who's becoming, you know, the husband of that bride. And it's just so awesome to be. I love it when the father gives them a hard time, be like, oh, you take good care of, there's something funny. Uh, but usually there's not. And usually it's just a, you know, a very solemn moment. Uh, and even though, you know, usually people are getting married, you know, maybe they've already moved out of home and everything like that. It's a big piece to be entrusted uh, people. It's a big thing. I realized when I got married and, you know, I'm focused on the bride. I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. I get to be married to her. Fantastic. I want it. This is perfect. Everything's coming up great. I don't know why she picked me. This is awesome. Um, and then you realize once you get married, well, this not only is awesome, but a huge responsibility as well. And uh, we share that responsibility with the, with the eldership team. Um, we describe leadership here as, uh, you know, same with Mike and Debs when they led that team, uh, that we lead the team that leads the church. 
The whole eldership team leads this church. If you've met with an elder of Oceanside, you've met with the leadership of Oceanside. There's no need uh, to go to Nathan and then go to me. That's not how it works. It's kind of like parents. If, if uh, a parent has told you no to something, you sometimes want to go to the other parent. And they, they kids, they play you, right? Um, they know when you're weak and the other's strong and all this other stuff. But kind of the eldership team is kind of like being parents together as well. You, we, we are one single family unit. Uh, we don't go on as many honeymoons or anything like that. Uh, maybe we should. No. Um, but um, it's, it's awesome to be uh, to lead in this community together. And, and last week, uh, we were just establishing, if you were here, if you were joining with us about, you know, what do we need to establish a new season of leadership on at this church? And if you heard the message or if you were with us, it was a simple thing. But just looking at Matthew 16, where Jesus was having conversations with his disciples and just saying, who do you say that I am? Do you, do you know who I am? Do you, do you know who you've been walking with the last three years? And then they told him, oh, some people say you're this person or that person or something else. And then uh, Peter chimes up and says, Jesus, you are Christ, son of the living God. And then we found out last week that Jesus, in response to that revelation, so in response to a people having the true revelation of who he is, his divinity, that Jesus will build his church it's based on that revelation, and it's his church. It's not our church. Something else when you get married is you realize, like, although, you know, you're, you're married now, you realize that your, your wife is still a child of God. You look after her like a child of God, and she looks out for you like a child of God as well. Jesus also said, nothing, nothing, the gates of hell, nothing can prevail against his church. And then we reflected on that Christ's that's because Christ's position of authority over the whole universe. That God the Father actually established Jesus over everything. So when Jesus says nothing is going to prevail against his church, he means it. And he's the only person who can promise that. When I tell, you know, when you tell something, no, no, don't worry, nothing's going to go wrong. You don't actually have complete authority over that. You can have faith for it. But only Jesus can say that in the absolute truth of it because he has dominion over everything. And everything is built on that revelation. These are humbling truths to know. And something that has struck me as I've thought and, you know, been, been able to look out upon, upon the people who are joining this church and maybe who are joining us online, thank you for joining with us as well. But I'm astounded by the amount of people who choose to be here the amount of people who choose to do family with this group. And the one thing that I'm really astounded with as well is Jesus had 12 disciples, and they changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, through what Jesus has told them. When I look out upon a room like this, I am astounded to think about the power that is in this room, the anointing that is in this room, the calling, the individual callings that are in this room that now come together and join together as a body of believers and say, what have you got for us, Lord, as a people? Not only with this people, but the church of the city as well. Multiplied from this room is church after church after church seeking the same things that we are seeking. And while being handed the bride of Christ in a way, um, to say, look after this, entrust this, steward this well, along with the other leaders at Oceanside, when I look out, I think about the capacity that is in this room here today. And I'm astounded by what could, 
God could do if he moved, if he shook this building, if he woke us up to the realities of kingdom living and spiritual eyes and all that sort of stuff. If we added up all the bank accounts, what would the, what would the number be? Maybe we could then go to Robson Street and spend some money. But far greater than the bank accounts, maybe the debt's a bit big as well, uh, so we won't go there, but far greater than the bank accounts is the capacity to see Nanaimo change through people who are called of God to step out and go. If Jesus is building his church upon the revelation of who he is, and we sign up to that, and we just say, Lord, build your church here in Nanaimo, all throughout Nanaimo, do it here, Lord, on simple things, just based on who you are, I think the church could explode. My biggest fear with accepting the responsibility of leading Oceanside Church, again, with the rest of the team, it's not just us, it's not just one person, it's, it's a team, and God sets us up like that for a reason. But my biggest fear with taking this thing is not that people leave or people go elsewhere or people say, oh, I really liked it when Mike and Debs were around, but I'm, I'm gonna go somewhere else. My, my biggest fear is not that we shrink or that we grow or anything like that, it's my biggest fear is that we just become a nice church. We become a nice place on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday night when we go to Connect Group to say, I love this community and it, it becomes family. We can be a nice family together. And that's not bad. God wants a nice church. When I married Camilla, I wanted a nice bride. <laughs> but Camilla wasn't just nice. She wasn't just beautiful. She was crazy and adventurous and nothing could stop her. And she was determined beyond all else. There was such character, a part of her life that says, I hope that when I marry her, that I magnify these things, not detract away from these things. And you know that marriages that do well, they are the ones that bring out the best in each partner. They are ones that brings the unique things that God has instilled to each individual in that relationship to life and magnification. And I think in our marriage, that has been happening. Camilla's done that to me. I don't think I'd be here today without her magnifying those things in my life. Guys, choose for yourself a faithful wife who loves the Lord because they will magnify you into what God is calling you into. But my biggest fear, Father Church, is that we take the bride and we just do church. We just set up the chairs, we just turn on the lights, we just figure out that, yes, you should all be in connect groups because that's where community really happens and all of that wonderful stuff, and it does happen. But we, that might, we might be lukewarm in those things. You know, as a church, the church has transitioned from season to season to season. And uh, I've seen all the pictures. At one point, it was my job to go through and scan all the pictures through for the 20th anniversary. It was someone else's job for the 25th. Hallelujah. I uh, didn't have to do that. Uh, but it was humbling to see the church go through all these different seasons, different buildings, different things happening, faces, uh, familiar and unfamiliar of who, all who are connecting, connecting through. And as we grow as a church, we can figure things out and we can start to become established. We can stop sort of being, you know, riding the, the, the line of, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And we can, be, we can be fairly established. But God wants us to say, yes, the things that we have here this morning, the coffee at the back, the espresso bar that might come back and all of that, it's very good and it's very nice. And it enables us to have community, but it is not quite the thing of kingdom that you, we need to be awake to. 
When I was reading and, and again, asking God what he wanted to say on the second week into the transition, and just to give you preference, I'm going to take a few weeks here, uh, just three or four, and then don't worry, the rest of the preaching team will be coming back. You'll be hearing from the rest of the guys. It's not Andrew till we die. Thank goodness. And Camilla knows how happy I am when I'm prepping and preaching and kids are wailing and screaming and all that other stuff. Um, so she'll be happy to hear that too. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we've mentioned this a lot as a church over the previous years, and if you can turn there, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and then we're going to be turning over to uh, 2 Timothy after that. But Paul is writing to a church, and he's, he's tell, he tells this thing. He's writing them a letter because he's not currently with them, and he tells them this thing about how he was with them the last time he came. And he says in chapter 2 from verse 1, and he said, And I, when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my messages were not plausible with words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, it is our desire here. My first point for us here this morning is three things that we need to choose to be as a church. And there's many, 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 many more. The list could be 100 points long. But we want to be a church where we choose the power of God, the Spirit of God, over lofty talk. I love that word lofty. It's like, what does it mean? Like, if I had to explain that to my kids, what does lofty? Occasionally, our kids ask us, what does that word mean? This morning, Zion asked, what does stronghold mean? I'm like, how do I describe stronghold? Uh, all this other stuff. But how do we describe lofty? The, the Greek translates, you know, it's with prominence. It's with an air of superiority about yourself, or even with excellency. Paul is saying, I didn't come to you with excellent speech. I didn't come to you with superior speech or wisdom. I don't think any of us would call Paul's word who, words who wrote most of the New Testament that they weren't excellent or superior. We'd say that about all his words. They are really, really, really good. But not even the Apostle Paul with his excellence, his superiority, said that he wanted to even come and minister to the people of God in that way at all. He said, I want to put down every nature and thing of human strength of building God's church and human strength, and I want to pick up the power that comes. I want to pick up the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is giving His church because it's only on those things that we can be founded. And we are asking God again that we choose to be a church filled with the power of God not just with, with good things to say. And there are many good things to say, and we should talk and speak a lot and teach and preach and all these things. But on the basis of it, we come from a position of have we experienced. I love that verse. Uh, was it brought out in the, the prayer meeting or in the main meeting that they, rec they recognized that the disciples had been with Jesus? They recognized that the disciples, that they were speaking from a place of authority, not because they were well taught, that they were actually uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. We are building a church not based on well-articulated words or the best uh, media or something like that. 
because mere intellectual persuasion does not have the power to save people. Saving faith is produced by the heart-changing power of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. I love, Debs, that you brought that message here this morning, and thanks for sharing with it before. And you just said, oh, when the name of Jesus is proclaimed, darkness flees. Church, that is the very definition of what the Scriptures here are talking about when it says the power of God. And later on in chapter 4, verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. Church, if we just talk, if we just converse, if we just examine, we will not enter into what the, the, the kingdom things that God wants us to, to, to enter into. Because talk without experience cannot make way for the power of God. I'm challenged as we step into another season of leading connect groups, that at times that at the end of connect group, you know, our connect group, we've had good seasons, we've had seasons where it's been small, seasons where it's been big, other things like that. But the value of a connect group is when the power of God turns up. Not that we just have a well-articulated conversation about the group, but actually that people will feel vulnerable to share where they're at, that they would make space for prayer, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would turn up in every which way, and the blessing of the Lord would come down in power, not only within our Sunday meetings, but with each and every meeting that we have, from the small to the big, from the, from the two or three, to the connect group of 10 or 12, to the bigger meetings as well. Church, we need the power. And the power, at least in Corinthians here, where, where Paul is using that word power, 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 again, it's the saving nature of the cross. Again, Jesus, oh, sorry, Paul brings it back to it's only about Jesus. He mentions two things there in verse 5. He says that, oh sorry, in verse 4, he says that uh, your faith may not rest in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So I was like, oh, so is the power of the Spirit, or is it Spirit and power? But earlier in chapter 1, verse 18, it says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When God, when Paul talks about the power showing up in our meetings, in our connect groups, in all of that, he's talking about the power of the testimony of the cross. He's talking about what happened when Jesus died on that cross and rose again, that everything was put under Jesus' feet at that moment. At that moment, history changed forever. There has never been a more powerful moment in history. Okay, I'm thinking about it while I say it. May, I don't know, we could talk about it, but... Maybe even more powerful than God speaking creation into being that itself. That moment when the Son of God died on the cross and rose again, the curtain was torn into church. I believe that that was way more powerful than the Big Bang. The Creator Himself coming down in human form, dying on the cross. And our meetings, when we meet together, it's not just talk, but they need to be based on the power of the cross. Did I mention this? I don't know if I mentioned it last week. I mentioned it at a connect group or somewhere. I don't know. Getting to the age where I don't remember where I've said things. It's perfect. <laughs> well, we were at a wedding the week before. Brett was getting married. Congratulations, Brett. <laughs> and uh, we're just sitting amongst a table of, of friends, and we're all like, okay, how do you know these guys? How do you know these guys? And 
the radical thing was that these guys had come together at this particular table through uh, stepping out of addiction together and into a life of godly living. And it was crazy. It started with one of the guys, I think his name was Chris, and he's at, on an eldership team at another church in the city. He was saved four years ago, already on an eldership team at a church in the city, because God is at power within his life. And you can tell when you sit with this just table of eight or so people that, wow, these guys have been rocked to their very core by the power of the cross. Sometimes we think we've graduated from the cross. Sometimes we think we've graduated from the Gospels and we move on to the, to the more technical parts of Scripture that are maybe a bit harder to comprehend and understand at times. But church, we can never, ever, just as we said that this church will be based and established on the testimony of who Christ is, it will also be based on the power of his cross. I don't know what you remember about your conversion experience, but there's likely nothing more powerful that you've experienced in your life. And there's nothing more powerful that we will experience when we step and see Jesus before the very throne room of God because of what that cross did for us. Church, we need not to go just back to the cross at Easter, but every time we meet together. It challenges us. And one thing for even our connect group this year, I'm challenged that, are we breaking bread enough together? Some, you know, are we doing that? Yes, we do it in the bigger meetings sometimes, but it says they, they met from house to house when they broke bread together. They met over a meal and they reflected and they, they tore it open and they, that power of the cross was represented every moment when they broke bread together. Church, we need to be a church that's full of the spirit, but also the power and the transforming nature of the cross. So what is the spirit part of it? And I love how things have connected already here this morning. But if my first point was that uh, we need to be a church where we choose the power of God over lofty talk and things like that and just doing things really well. Um, point number two of us is we need to be a church where spiritual gifts are fanned into flame, church. I love, thank you, Chris, for so much. It's always great when any word uh, comes forward, but I love it when it confirms some things. I love that word that, that Chris, you had, that we need to stop being window shoppers because there's gifts inside those things that God wants to give us. I would explain that as that God has actually got spiritual gifts for each person here that he wants them to open, them to unwrap, them to tear open and to use, not just put up on a shelf and look at it. It's a gift to be used and to be played with and to be enjoyed and to be spread amongst everyone that we meet. And in the same letter, Paul writes talking about the Spirit. And maybe this is this thing where he's saying in a demonstration of the Spirit, I believe that he was demonstrating the gifts of the Spirit before them as well. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he reminds them of them. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Just for the sake of time, we're going to skip a few uh, uh, numbers here. But uh, verse 4 says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And then in verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation for the common good. For to one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another variety of various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each 
individually as he wills. And church, that's what I mean when I say that when I stand up here and I see all the faces amongst here, it's in relation to those verses where I am humbled to think about the spiritual giftings in this room. And I ask myself as leading the church is that, oh, have we stepped into what chapter 12 is trying to lead us into? Are we relying on the spiritual gifts of other people to lead us, or are we asking God ourselves? Have you ever turned up to a, a birthday party and forgotten to bring a gift? Or maybe it's one of those birthday parties where you're like, is this a gifts party or is this a no gifts party? And it says on the invitation, oh, no gifts, but then everybody turns up with gifts. I haven't been to too many of those, don't get too many invites anyway. But um, if you go to a party, if you, if you go to a birthday, if you go to a celebration and it's a gift-giving celebration and you forget your gift, how do you feel? Awful, Debs? Has it happened to you before? No, she's never forgotten a gift. Debs doesn't forget things like that. But you would feel awful. You would just think, oh, everybody else, they're going to open it. They're going to see what's going on and all this other stuff. And I thought of something. I have something for you, but I just, I just forgot to bring it. I have something amazing, something like that. Church, when we gather together as believers, it says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The reality is, when you don't go to connect group for a couple weeks, or you don't come to church for a couple weeks, or you don't connect with those friendships that you have for a couple weeks, it doesn't, we don't miss much if we're just doing lofty talk, because the lofty talk can continue without you. But it does mean much if the spiritual gifts are at use within our body of believers, because the Spirit of God apportions to each one as he chooses, which means I don't have what your gift is. I don't have the thing that God that has blessed you, that he's given you to bless the rest of us. God wants us to be awake to the realities that there are gifts that he has given each one of us. Mark, there's a, there's a new uh, Bible school going on at the moment, and uh, yeah, please join them on Thursday nights, but there's been fantastic teachers, teachings uh, on spiritual gifts that have happened before that time as well. What would the church look like if every believer stepped eagerly and unashamedly into their God-given gifting? It's the easiest thing for us to say that actually that, that thing, that stepping out, that praying, that, that word of wisdom or whatever it is, that's for somebody else. That's for a 12-year Christian. That's for, well, that one's for a 24-year Christian. Or that one's for a Christian who appears on a TV show or on the stage or something like that. No, there is massive, massive potential within this room church. And I believe the early world, the early church was transformed and changed because the Holy Spirit was alive and active and people were awake and willing to be used as vessels of the living God. The terrifying thing as the leader of this church is to think, what if no one steps into their gifting? What if we take the bride of Christ and we don't awaken her into everything that God has called her into? Church, we are praying for you. We are asking for you. Lord, show us how to awaken this room to the spiritual realities that you want to give us. What would our meetings look like? Church, there's not enough words that are brought in our meetings. <laughs> i just be honest, there's not enough. And I don't bring enough. It's me as well. Church, we need to make space. In other parts of Scripture, it says, 
you know, to each one is given a hymn, a spiritual song or something like this. And our groups from our smaller groups to bigger groups on a Sunday morning can be filled with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is my eager desire here that you don't feel as spectators here this morning. That actually when you do come to church, it's not just, oh, I missed out because I didn't receive the edification thing that I receive on a Sunday morning. But actually that we come forward in a mass of believers and are praying for our city and are worshiping for our Christ Jesus. And we are just going forward as an army of God. When you're not around, we want to build a church and we want you to come to church that says, when I'm not there, and have the humility to say, when I'm not there, I feel bad because they're my people. They're my army. They're who I'm going forward with. The first thing you need to know today that is if you are a believer who's been baptized with the Spirit and it's available to any believer of Christ, that you have a gift and it's to be used. And guess what? It's not for you. God's given you a gift. Sometimes we give our kids gifts, right? We're like, hey, we're buying a gift for somebody else, and you're giving it to somebody else. So we go to the toy store, and we say, pick a gift, but we have to remind them like 20 or 30 times, this is not for you. This is for the kid in your class. And hopefully it goes well. Hopefully they understand that. Sometimes they don't. Um, But we need to understand that as well, that God has put us in this church, not just because it's good for you, but because it's good for those around you. And church, we want to fan into flame. We want to fan into flame what God is calling into your life. In 2 Timothy, the same writer, but writing to his disciple, Timothy, says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Church, the success, one of those other success metrics for our church will be, is our church coming alive with the spiritual gifts? Are we growing in these areas, church? A few different ways that you can step into your spiritual gifting. And spiritual giftings aren't like what you're good at, like I'm good with computers, but it's not my spiritual gifting. Some people have shared with me what they think my spiritual gifting is, and I'm like, wow, you really think it's that? And it's something I would have never picked, but they've seen on my life in different avenues and areas. And I'm like, wow, that must be a spiritual gift because there's no way. Could just go ask my brothers growing up if I had that gift. They would say no. Ask, pray for your gifting, and get spirit-filled believers to lay their hands on you for that gifting as well. It says from the, from the Apostle Paul, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul was so brash to say that I know there's something in you because I prayed for you, anointed you, and I felt the Spirit go into you at that time. You have the gift of God living inside with you. Same with all of us. Go fan it into flame. I love it when we get to winter because then we get to make fires again. I love, yes. There's something, it's just something created within us that needs fire, right? Um, but that moment where you've got it, where you're fanning it into flame, where you can see that it's not just you're fighting against damp kindling, but you can actually see the spark and you know you've got enough heat and if you just give it enough fuel, that thing is going to burn and then you can start laying huge, monstrous chunks of wood on that fire and they will be consumed. Church, that's like us coming together 
together as spiritual logs. Lord, we want to, we want to burn for Nanaimo. But we're only one twig, or we're only one log, and we're only one thing. We need to fan into flame, and we need to see the embers of what is in, in our meetings be fanned into flame each time we come together. Because if we do that, church, Nanaimo will be changed. We will never come back from the meeting saying, oh, yeah, it sounded good today, or it didn't sound good today, or did you catch that bit when the lyric guy didn't get it? That won't be the emphasis of the meeting, or the check-in tablet didn't work, or it did work, or my kid was given the wrong piece of candy, and now they're crazy. No, it'd be God turned up with power because we were activated and came to God and expected that the fire was going to burn amongst us in our midst. Ask God to reveal what your gift is. Learn about it. Again, that those... Uh, those school of the Bibles that are all on our website there. Use it and grow in it. And remember, it's for other people. It's not for you. God's actually given you something to give to others around it. And my point number three here today, and my last point, and I take some time on it, but again, I, I don't know how connected these things or not connected you feel these things are, but just three things that were intrinsically on my heart as I was praying uh, in the weeks leading up to this, of what do we need to hear as a church? I felt God say that we need to be a church on the front lines. We need to be a church on the front lines. Again, we don't want to be a safe, a comfortable church. We need to be a church on the front lines. When a kid plays dress-up, they never think that they're the third character down the, down the list. They're like, I'm putting on my soldier's uniform, and I'm the person who resupplies the other ship that resupplies the other ship and all of that. No, they're like, I'm on the front line. I'm leading the charge. I'm cutting off that guy's... No, that's biblical, that part, so I can say that in church. But our desire is to be a frontline church. I got to say, when God awakened my life to ministry, he didn't call me... I believe, to lead a nice church. <laughs> he called us together as a family to, lead, to be living as Christians on the front lines. Later in the same letter to Timothy, Paul says, you then, in chapter 2 he says, from verse 1 he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that, that, uh, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. I get emotional when I think about that verse because I say, I know that I've been enlisted. I know that I've been called. And you should know that all together here this morning, because it's not just the person on the stage who's been enlisted and is called, it's all of us. I know that I've been enlisted. I know that I've been called. But is my aim, my very first aim, to, be, to please the one who has enlisted me to this calling? Again, a humbling thing as we serve and we go out in life. We need to start viewing ourselves again as soldiers for Christ. Not very good connotations in the media or what's going on. It's not very PC to want to be a soldier. They generally do what are perceived to be bad things. But in the spiritual realm, for the victories that God wants to win, it's not a bad thing. It's an awesome thing to be a soldier for Christ. And nine, th nine things that I just 
see here uh, on Soldiers for Christ, and they're, they're just quick. Maybe 10 things. Let's add one. Nine things. Soldiers exist for the purpose assigned to them from above. Our very existence, the reason why we're here, the reason why God captured our hearts and, and brought us into the adoption of his family is although we have different purpose and different missions here this morning, we do very different things and it's all good and God wants us to work and do all those things and raise families and enjoy life and things like that. But our ultimate mission is all the same. We exist for the purposes assigned to us from above. And God wanted me to say this. He said, do we see ourselves as reservists or do we see ourselves serving in active duty? Do you see yourself as a reservist? I've never served in the military. Other people here have, and I probably shouldn't be talking about it when there's better equipped people to talk about it, but I'll try, so have grace for me. But a reservist, you train. You're equipped. You learn. You take your courses. You, you sit like this, hearing from somebody else who you know, knows something else or wants to teach you something. But you never actually go to active duty. You never actually go to the front line. And if you live in a time of peace and there's nothing, there's nothing too chaotic going around, you'll live a nice, pleasant life. You'll cash a paycheck for your work that's been assigned to you. Are we reservists or are we active duty soldiers in, in God's mission? I think for many, many years that I viewed myself as I just need to be filled with knowledge. I just need to listen to the preach, and my best goal is to take lots of notes and to have revelations and, and other things and learn lots of things and become really, really smart. But I never actually stepped in to say, God, what does it mean to live on the front lines for you, Lord? An active duty soldier is completely different to a reserve soldier. Their potential is the same. Their equipping is the same. Their resources, once they become active, is the same but two different very states of the same people. The second thing for soldiers is that they don't, and it says it here in Scripture, it says they don't, a soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. And I believe that God, God, when we, when we know that our lives are being meant for Him and that we're called up to His duty, then it becomes this thing is that, am I filling my life too much with civilian pursuits? Any army, they'll entertain the troops. You know, they, they know that they need some R&R. They know that they need to take breaks, all this other stuff. And they know that they need to be looked after and morale needs to be kept up. But the morale's purpose is to keep the mission going. It's not just morale for morale's sake. It's not just good times for good times' sake. It's not just I've made this, this thing, this nice thing, and this is, this is my zone, and it's, it's here for my enjoyment. It's not everything has a priority. Soldiers don't get entangled in civilian pursuits because they're aware of the real priorities that exist. The other thing is that soldiers have specialities and they're trained in them. Spiritual gifts, church. And I love that piece. Yeah, I mentioned it before, but what Chris set up is like, stop looking, stop being window shoppers. <laughs> Go in and get the thing that Christ is trying to give to you. God's trying to equip you as special forces, as specialties. We are all different and we all need each other. The other thing is that soldiers have authority. Soldiers have authority. Again, with the, the, the queen dying and all this other stuff, Camilla's hated me because I've constantly been watching like the processions and all the other stuff. It's like, 
I finally turned into my dad because I really want to hear what that bagpipe thing, there's nothing that would want me to make, watch bagpipes when I was growing up, but now I've reached the age where I like bagpipes. This is great. This is awesome. But God wanted to highlight this as well. You know, the, 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 the soldiers who dress in red and they got the big pompy hat and stuff like that, you look at them and you're like, how would you do in a fight? Now, they are real soldiers. I believe the guns are really loaded. But it seems to me that the big furry hat wasn't the perfect outfitting if they were to be dropped in Baghdad or something like that for when, um, when they were on mission there. And those active duty soldiers, they rotate, rotate those round positions. But when they're in that ceremonial position, the authority is different. Now again, some of the videos I've watched this past week of is there's nothing greater than seeing a soldier shout at a tourist because they're in the way and they say, make way for the Queen's Guard and awesome stuff like that and people get frightened and, and, and scurry away. But then there's a few videos of tourists that think like, oh, I'm just gonna try a bit more. Like now the tourist really stands in their way because they wanna get it shouted at so they can capture it on Instagram and post it and go viral and stuff like that. And actually now they've, 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 put the, they've started putting the soldiers behind fences because there was something that one soldier broke the tourist's ankle because he was, they were in their way. And he, he broke their ankle. He was like, no, get out of the way for the Queen's Guard. But then the, the government thought, well, we can't have soldiers breaking tourists' ankles. Like, particularly, we like the tourists, all that other stuff. But you know that while that ceremonial position, that soldier has real authority, they know that they're not allowed to do what they need to do as well. They know over time and over time that as the video cameras come out that actually they're not the ones in charge. And now they station armed police next to the soldiers so that the policeman who doesn't have the ceremonial duty can sort of look after the soldier. Isn't that crazy? You got soldiers looking, sorry, police officers looking after soldiers with much bigger guns. Are we living as ceremonial soldiers for Christ? If we just live out our faith in this room, I don't want to make such a crazy statement, but we can really live as in just in ceremony. We can do the things, we can say the prayers, and we can think that we're right with God, but we are not living an active duty life for Christ. We exist for the pleasure of the one who enlisted us. As soldiers, they live on the front lines. Soldiers, they, even though they're in different parts of the battlefield, they wear the same uniform. And they see the enemy on the battlefield as well. We need to have our spiritual eyes opened to the real enemies that exist within our cities. And I'd hence to say that, like, the enemies that exist in the city aren't the people of the city. Sometimes we can get confused with saying, okay, God wants me to reach that person, but I also hate that person for what they're doing. And we need, to, we need to have, we need to go with wisdom, the spiritual gift of wisdom as we go and confront things within our society. But we need to be, have our eyes opened with the spiritual eyes. When, you're, when you go to a different culture, when you go to a different reality, it's easy to see those things awakened. When I've traveled, it's like, oh, I easily see the spiritual issues around this place. But church, even though we're from here, we need to be awake. We need to see the enemy on the battlefield. And we need to know that we have the ability to rescue people held hostage by the enemy. The other thing is that we have loaded weapons. But it's a different kind of weapons. In 2 Corinthians 
10, it says this, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the other thing, church, just as the, the band maybe come up here, and maybe the last point that I want to end, end with is that soldiers pick up different things. They have different loadouts depending on what they've been called to. Again, if you're a reservist, you know, it's, you have a pretty peaceful loadout. If you're on the front lines, if you're taking, if you have a specific mission and people within teams, they have specific, specific armor, specific um, loadouts and, and weaponry for the battlefield. And in Ephesians 6, it's this, and I think Nathan talked about this a, a couple months ago, but it said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Church, I want to ask us as a people and as we come as an army, as we come as a group, what are we picking up? Chances are, if we're not picking up anything, if we're not equipping ourselves with, that, with the weapon or the spiritual gift or the piece of spiritual armor there that uh, is being talked about in Ephesians, then we're not expecting anything to happen. A soldier doesn't put on his bulletproof vest when he, when he doesn't think there's any enemies around. He puts on the bulletproof vest, he picks up his spiritual sword or whatever it is, and he puts it on because he expects an encounter. He expects to be used. He expects to be utilized. He expects to be told to go at a moment's notice. And in those gifts are each one of those things. Church, what I would like us to do as a church is to examine ourselves and say, what does God want me to pick up in this season? If we are the army of God, if we have called as a people, if God has told me that I've got spiritual gifting in my life, what is it? The weapons of warfare for us are the spiritual gifts. And nothing can stand against God's church that's, you know, <laughs> living in the revelation of who he is and is being enabled by those gifts. Some of us aren't picking up our weaponry. Some of us aren't putting on the armor just yet. But I believe if we call this church home that we need to do those things. And the last thing, church, and as I was prepping this, like, soldiers get promoted. <laughs> Soldiers who are eager to fight, who are eager to take up the cause of their commanding officer. Soldiers who want to go deep into the battlefield and win the victory and take the ground. Those soldiers get promoted. And I believe it's, I'm not talking about a, a, a promotion in the, in the natural right now to say, hey, we're going to send some other people or, or something like that. It's a spiritual thing. But actually, I believe that as we stand in the church and the band start playing here, that God wants to say, I want to promote you in the spiritual realm. I want to take the things that you think you've been given a little, maybe you think you have a little dark gun and I want to give you something bigger. I want to give you a bigger cause and I want to give you a bigger mission and I want to fill your life with what I've got for you because it's good. And it's not just about healing you and helping you and making you feel cozy, even though the, the spirit does come to us as the comforter. It's about taking ground. It's about doing what God has called us to do.
And I'm excited to, in this season, to build again with leaders and say, what has God put in your hands, young man or young lady? What things has God put in there? Just like Paul said, what fan into flame, that thing that I put on you, because you need it if we're gonna take the ground into this city. Church, it's a pleasure to speak to you here this morning. It's a pleasure to lead us. And we are praying for you as a leadership team as we go forward into everything that God has got for us. Amen. Let's stand. Let's ask God to reveal what he's doing here.